the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 180, recorded Friday, January 30th, 2015. Made with licorice. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audio-visual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. Hello. Welcome. If you're watching live, good Friday afternoon to you. If you're not, good morning, good evening, good night, whatever it is for you. Uh, this week, we have on our lovely uh, panel, uh, first up is Mr. Dave Hetz from AVI Systems. How are you, sir? Doing wonderful. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, also with us is Mark Lavecchio from BMA Software Solutions and the fabulous technology manager's focused uh, podcast, Tech Talk. How are you, sir? Wonderful, sir. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And last but not least, Stuart Wrench from IEG, my favorite networking uh, tool uh, that I, I personally use. So how are you, sir? Doing great. Thanks for asking. Good. Uh, that's not a commercial. It's actually a true story. <laughs> so I was we, we were at the CI Summit. I, I told this story off the air. I'll tell it again here because it's a fun story. Uh, I was on a on the elevator. Didn't actually even realize what that that Stuart was on the on the elevator with me. And one of the other integrators starts asking what IEG is, and I start doing his pitch for him. So <laughs> you know, I, I just think it's a cool product. So we've interviewed you guys a couple times at at Cedia and and Infocom, and, and actually we'll see you at ISC. So. Right. Uh, thanks, thanks to Mr. Hatz and, and, and a bunch of other folks. So, uh, all right. This week we have a couple of uh, networking stuff. Um, first, though, it, it, this is a, a I don't know. I didn't plan it this way, right? But I have two programmers and, and, a, and a really good networking. Well, three really good networking people and and, and two programmers. Uh, and then I guess if you want to, you know, count me, there's three. But we do kind of have some some programming and networking stories, right? So first up, uh, from CE Pro, emerging technology in cable boxes may render IR repeaters, and I even read IR, uh, systems useless. Uh, this comes to us, um, w- the story goes on to talk about how a lot of the boxes made by ATT, Uverse, Cisco, Scientific Atlantic, uh, Motorola, uh, which is another uh, popular manufacturer of cable box systems, they're being tricky when it comes to IR, right? And making some of these systems a little bit uh, difficult. Uh, if you're not familiar with IR repeaters, basically uh, for those of us who live in the programming world, it's a big long cable and it's got a little bulb at the end and we make magic happen with code and somewhere on the end of that, some light flashes, right? And some of these boxes are becoming more and more difficult. Uh, there's a Samsung uh, Blu-ray player out there right now that finding the IR uh, receiver on there is nigh on impossible uh, without a uh, without a, a rocket scientist degree. So uh, the first question for uh, actually we'll start with with Mr. Lavecki here. Um, so if the IR is becoming more and more difficult, let's say, right? I mean, IR is, is a pretty simple uh, protocol, but but getting it into the box and into that we're trying to control. Um, does that mean that that we're going to give start leaning more on CEC um, through the HDMI? Is that or are we still not there yet with CEC? I don't know that we're there yet. I know that we don't see it as much okay. uh, right now. I mean, all of our work is commercial, um, so uh, when we are dealing with anything that's going to be IR, it's generally an OFB. Uh, somebody's got their cable box and somebody's got their Blu-ray player. Uh, that's not even two thirty two, but in, in most cases for us, we run into either communicating uh, 232 or IP at this point. Mm. And, and that's talking uh, codecs, uh, displays, and things like that. So when we run into IR, we're running into almost exclusively OFB. And if we spend more than 20 minutes in the field not being able to communicate with the device, the customer just says, pull it out. I don't care. Put something in there that works. I'm not married to it. But again, it's a commercial application. Um, and so it's not as prevalent in our world as, as, as it may be in others. 
See, that's interesting to me because, I, you know, I still run into, uh, I, I'll say media players in general, right? Um, there are still a number of media players that the preferred method is, is, is either IR or CEC, uh, whether it's owner furnished, uh, which is what OFE stands for, um, owner furnished or not, right? It, it's supplied by the by the integrator or somebody else. So uh, one interesting thing, Mr. Levecki and I are both independent programmers. I work for a company called Innovad. Mr. Hatch, though, is not. He uh, he is a programmer extraordinaire for a very nice integration system uh, called AVI Systems. So, Dave, um, where are we with CEC, or, or is it is there another protocol? Uh, Mark mentioned IP. Is that is that the the uh, area we're going to go down and just bypass all this other stuff? Well, it, it's interesting because if you would have asked me six months ago, I probably would have said you know. Even as a company, I don't think we had used CEC more than a handful of times at all. And just within the programmers or the, with the programmers within AVI systems, we've started to see more and more cases where we're using a combination of IR and CEC for consumer devices. More because it's the last resort. It's you know, as you said, they're starting to get more and more challenges with controlling devices. And it's how you know the bottom line is how can we find a way that's reliable to get discrete control for power for input selection on a monitor, for instance. Sometimes, you know, we, we, if we can, certainly if we can control it 232 or IP, that's absolutely the first choice. But there's still, you know, we, we're seeing more and more consumer displays, you know, even though we try to educate our customers to the value of, you know, of a commercial display, we're still seeing more and more consumer devices. And so, as such, we're having to get creative at times about the best way to achieve the reliable, complete control that's necessary, you know, in an installed system. So, I mean, we're seeing sort of a mix of everything. Um, you know, it's it's one of those, you know, you, you'd like to think that we're getting more intelligent, we're getting full, you know, more intelligent devices with APIs, but the reality is it's it's a total mixed bag. Uh, okay, so let, let's take, let's step, take a step back here. 232, and, and one of you smart people, correct me if I'm wrong on this, 232, RS-232 RS specifically, is roughly 40, 50 years old protocol, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, IR is about the same age. I mean, maybe, you know, I still remember the first uh, IR remote control I ever saw. It was wonderful because up until that point, I was my father's remote control. Um, again, you know, 40, 30 years ago. What the freak? It's twenty. It's twenty fifteen. Uh, Dave is saying it's it's a mixed bag. You know, I thought we were supposed to get more and more simple. I, I guess as technology kind of moved on. Um, Stuart, this is where I'm going to come with you when it comes to IP and and, and control. Not, not just the control, but 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 the network in general. Are we? I, I guess I, the first question is: Can can our our networks handle? You know, putting control protocols and let's be honest here let's a control protocol is not going to flood your system right you got to have that conversation with with your ip your your it manager to make sure that they understand that it's not going to flood your system most of them won't yeah. um but can i mean are we there where we can we can handle that you know kind of depends on the network at this point um you know unfortunately there's still a lot of people who are not putting in robust networks um and that lack of reliability uh, will create a perceived lack of reliability, which is why people have still been using IR because until you know, challenges that we're discussing here today, it's kind of the old tried and true. Same thing with 232. People got over the demons, so to speak. Um, you know, what, what I've seen, the problem, challenges I've been fighting since I started my integration firm, I guess 11 years ago now, before I sold that and moved back, moved into doing what I do with Ahiji, is that um, the manufacturers who are implementing IP protocols are not doing the best job for the most part. There's no standardization around most of this, and that's to me a bigger challenge in and of itself um, is having a reliable IP protocol um, on top of a reliable network. Reliable networks people have figured out, and with a little bit of money and a little bit of time, anybody can put a reliable network in. Um, now, getting the manufacturer to provide you a reliable product, that's the one that we don't really have control over um, if we're not in the manufacturer chair. And the thing that adds to the complexity to that, Tim, is now you've got a manufacturer that's, they're getting better. Not, they've really come a long way in terms of their IP protocol. Uh, we've had some 
more examples lately of the uh, IP protocol and the 232 protocol kind of mirroring each other, so yep. we're able to, to, to keep it simple. Um, but that being said, even if they had it right, you've got to remember you've now got an integrator who may or may not have the ability to speak IT. You've got an end user that may or may not have the ability to talk IT and they have to go to their IT person. And now all of a sudden something that's not that reliable to begin with is adding people to it. People are, you know, an imperfect form to begin with. And all that does is burn time and make things, uh, as you can say, more unreliable. And in the end, IR, he brought up a good point. The reason IR is still around is because in the end, or especially 232, people can rely on it. And they know that it's going to work once it's working. And that's all they care about at the end. They don't care if it's made with licorice. If the thing <laughs> works, that's what they care about. I want to turn it on, and it works. And when I leave, everybody's got done what they needed to get done. That's it. how I get there. Nobody cares. At the end, you know. Yeah. Uh, the first question is, is I want to come back to, to what Stuart said. Stuart, define for me, if you can, what a robust network is, because you, you use that term a couple of times. What, mm -hmm. in your mind, right, whether it's it's home and or, or, or a, a work environment, what what's a robust network? Um, again, that's one of the problems is that it depends on the setting. Um, what's a robust network for a small, you know, five-man shop or a residence um, is not the same as what a robust network is when you have 50, 100, 200, 1,000 employees. Um, it, it varies, you know, but the, the things that tie together are, you know, it should be, you know, standards-based, you know, highly available equipment. Um, a lot of times you see, you know, manufacturers coming in, you know, dropping product on, and they've kind of thrown together something that does pass packets and passes as a network by the core definition of what a network is. Um, but at the end of the day, nobody knows how to service it um, if you bring another company in and the reliability is not really there as, as well. Um, you know, and I hate to say, but you know, going with those real name brand companies that have been beat up, tried and true in the enterprise world for decades is a safer bet. Not that there aren't other companies out there making products, but um, unless you put it through the ringer, um, let some let the millions of people around the world who have put thing, devices through the ringer, uh, switches, routers, access points, all of that. Uh, there's plenty of really good products out there. It goes back to the old saying, you know, nobody ever got fired for for buying IBM, right? Um, you, you use the the ones that that millions of people have have already used. So, uh, Dave, real quickly, and, and I don't want to beat up our, our manufacturer friends because, you know. I still like doing that. Um, is there a standard? I mean, Mark Mark mentioned that that there are a lot of times uh, here recently, and I'll say here recently because we all have our horror stories. I have my own. There was a an amplifier manufacturer who decided to throw a DSP into their amplifier, and uh, the protocol I was I was being forced to use was IP. And, and I'm not kidding you. If you're watching video, the 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 IP ad, the the IP command for power on was roughly that long right um it was every bit of 30 characters 40 characters um and that was power on you know everything everything you had to do in, in volume up and all that jazz and, and what you're getting back you had to parse out all that jazz for uh, for volume feedback dave is there is there something we can do um to simplify that process um or is is there maybe i don't know a, a tricky little tool that we could throw on the network or, or maybe, you know, make our own little network device that, that, you know, parses back or, or converts back and forth between IP and, and 232. I don't know. Well, the, the trouble is you've got manufacturers who each, you know, can, can choose to make their own protocols. And so even if we're just talking in the RS-232 world, mm -hmm. each manufacturer, you know, wants to make their own protocol because they want to make it that much more difficult for you to put in a brand Y device when your device is obsoleted. So it's actually to their advantage to not have standardized um, protocols, you know, between manufacturers. Now, that said, you know, the, the biggest thing that we've tried to do internally is, you know, as programmers is to, you know, create the, the code modules for devices that we, you know, we come across so that at least once, you know, one person puts the, that first, that learning curve at the beginning, you know, they put the time and invest it to get that device working reliably. Now we can at least leverage that and use it across the company. And, 
you know, so we're not having to, you know, relearn every single time. In, in truth, that's about the best that we've found, you know, I mean, I'd love to sit here and say, you know, all the manufacturers are going to come up with protocols that are interoperable and we can just say power on and anything can understand it, but it's, it hasn't happened yet. So, you know, here's to the future. And one of the things, Tim, that we yes. found to expand upon that is as an independent programmer, we're hired by companies like ABI Systems to come in with uh, help with overflow with their programming and so forth, or maybe a consultant's project. And one of the things we've found with our customers is more of an effort now uh, when they recognize a device that may be sketchy in the field, they want us to call it out to them, bring in the device, and let's test it at a bench. Let's sit and make it work internally. Let's not air that laundry in front of the customer. And if we can't, then let's, if we have trouble, let's get it all out of the way early. We're seeing that uh, trend very heavily for us right now in the commercial world. Well, well that comes back to, to mocking things up in the shop, dude. I mean, really, that's, uh, uh, who was it? Uh, the, the AV9000 crew. I mean, that's that's kind of what the, those standards were about where, you know what, and, and this is something I, I try to work with with, with my clients. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, right? I mean, you, you're going to get a call on Friday afternoon saying, hey, I need, you know, 40 hours of programming by Monday morning because this has got to be, you know, installed on, on Tuesday afternoon. Those are going to happen, but that comes back to, to making, you know, kind of scheduling yourself out, making sure your project manager's on the ball and getting everything in shop, in the shop and making sure all the buttons work, everything worked like, like you want it to. And then, you, bit to Mark's point, is, you know, you can find those sketchy products or, you know, maybe you have something that was that was DOA out of the box or a bad 232 port, who knows? But you find those things in the shop rather than, like you said, Mark, in front of the customer. So. Well, and, ev and every minute you save up front is, you know, three, four, 10, 20 minutes yep. in the field that, you know, you're spending trying to react to it. Yeah. And you're never reacting, you know, with time to spare. It's always, you know, it's always a firefight. Yep. And like you say, then you're, you, you risk, you know, airing your laundry in front of the customer, which is something, you know, none of us want to do. No. No. No, but the ability to raise your hand early and say, this device, yep. whether you're staging or not, somebody needs to raise their hand early and say, this device could be a problem. Let's hook it up to a little processor. You know, the, the control processor is now pretty easy to just get a small one, throw it in there, throw a little X panel code on there, test out the strings, see what's going on. Uh, even though everything else is going on, let's spend a few minutes to the side. Uh, we see that happening so often right now, and it's great. Because in the end, you know, nothing kills your margins like an extra trip to the field that you didn't have scheduled. So that's what this is about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, let's talk about a few minutes of, on on smart homes. Uh, Sky Bell, the co-founder of, of Andrew Thomas, um, said whether or not you like it, you're going to have a smarter home in the next couple of years. This is from uh, DigitalTrends.com, and it was it's an interesting article because basically he says you know. Whether or not you want this, your devices, your gadgets and gizmos are going to be smart over the next few years. Uh, so let's take that as, you know, let, let's take that as kind of a starting point. Uh, Stuart, th we'll start with you on this. If that's the case, then that's going to incredibly impact not only the, the home network, but also the professional network eventually. Because one thing, at least us in, in, in the pro side of AV is, have noticed is the last few years, commercial or, or consumer uh, electronics has started to push back into uh, the pro realm. Um, you know, Mark's DVD player aside, that's really, they really are kind of pushing back into it. So the first question for you is, how do home networks differ from professional networks? You know, and, and I'm not looking for just, well, one has a Linksys router and the rest of them have big giant things. But for, from, from a workflow standpoint, because the one thing about these, these smart devices is they're all going to want to connect to, to a network somewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, the differences really are diminishing. Um, the amount of stress placed on a residential network is increasing. Um, you know, by the end of this year, all 50 states should have some available gigabit uh, internet provider at, at least some section of the state. That, that outbound connectivity is what's helping to fuel this ma massive shift in how fast gadgets are, are being produced and put on to 
use this bandwidth. And it's actually the availability of even more bandwidth will create more gadgets because we just fill it. It's like when you know first hard drive was in order of K, and you felt you had no way I could ever fill you know you know 10 megabytes up. And uh, you know here we are pushing multi multi terabytes easily and just about everything that we put out. And it's the same thing on the on the on the data side. Um, and, and I think you actually hit it on the head too. Just bounce over real quick to the commercial side is that due to the speed, people are now going to be comfortable having all of these gadgets and um, niceties in their homes, and they go to the office. And if they don't have some of those uh, things, they're going to feel that they just drag it onto the network, and that's going to create security concerns, a lot of headaches and heartaches for IT folks uh, around the world as they're trying to figure out how to um, how to handle that. Um, but you know, I, looking forward, putting my my looking glass on, I really feel that most every home network will need to be reliable and more robust, um, just so that people aren't pulling their hair hair out all the time. Um, gone are the days when um, when you can buy that you know pick on them blue Linksys router <laughs> um, and and put it in, in and just have it be good enough. Um, that being said, there's going to need to be a shift. Um, in the ease with which these networks are deployed, um, because not everybody's going to get an integrator uh, who knows what they're doing. Um, some people are going to do it themselves, and those networks also just need to become easier um, so they can support all these devices. Uh, you know, Google and Nest are never going to help you with your network when Nest doesn't work. They're going to say, hey, it's a network problem, go figure it out. And, and so, so on and so forth down the line, your locks, your refrigerators, which by the way, there was <laughs> back in, I think it was 2000, I saw a mock-up of the first smart fridge in, at, uh, in the Bell South Home Networking Lab. Mm -hmm. um, so they're still not really here the way that I would have expected, but you know, all, all of it is here and all of it is coming. Now, here's the thing, uh, one quick thing. Google, Google will come out and fix it when they start selling wireless uh, access. So. Uh, which is coming very soon, apparently. Um, uh, I did see a, a smart uh, LG fridge uh, at, at Best Buy, so um, I didn't purchase it because it was like five thousand dollars. But you know, exactly. I don't, you know, my my cokes are cold enough. Thank you, uh, <laughs> Dave. We're going to come up with you. What kind of challenges does this does this present? Um, like he said, having these devices on the network, and, and some of these are AV centric, some of them are not. Um, but let, let's get crazy here. You know, if, if your if your fridge can tell you that the door is open or you are out of Coke, then in theory, if it can send out a signal, uh, we as programmers can take that signal and do darn near whatever the heck we want to with it. Um, so what kind of challenges or, or opportunities does that does that give us uh, in the world of AV? Well, I, I think the very first you have to look at is just pure support. Okay. That, you know, I mean, before you even can get all, you know, geeky about all the cool things you can do, it's, you know, sort of as Stuart was saying, it's how does, you know, if, if my dad goes down to Best Buy and, you know, in 10 years buys a smart fridge, now he takes it home and, you know, he needs support on it. You know, so he, he's, you know, he's going to have trouble figuring it out, which, you know, really leads to sort of the why of, you know, a lot of these haven't taken off yet. But, you know, it's so, you know, getting a support model to, you know, find a way to, you know, to deal with these is really a huge hurdle. So once you get past that, though, you know, you get into, you know, all the potential of what you could do with it is, you know, and, and this is sort of one of those questions where are, are we going to get to a point where, you know, products like Wink or product, you know, Apple's Homelink or you know, Google or any of these conglomerates are going to be able to come out with a platform that talks to all of your devices in your house, gives you one dashboard where you can operate, where you can control, where you can automate, and do it all yourself. I, I, I'm, I'm still leery that, I mean, it's, it's one of those, I think someone will find a way to get close enough and get good enough for the consumer, but you know, I don't know that it's ever going to get to the level of what we as integrators would immediately jump to as all the potentials. I mean, you know, certainly if we're going to, you know, as integrators, I mean, you know, I mean, I sit here and think, oh, cool, I could, you know, have my fridge send, you know, send me an email when I'm out of eggs. And then I can, you know, I can, you know, I'm out of town. If my thermostat, or if my thermostat drops down, I can have it email me to tell me that, hey, the furnace went out or, you know, 
I can start to automate things based on all of that. I can, you know, the power the power is, you know, doing brownouts, so I turn off my printer in my office so it doesn't get, you know, jacked up. You know, things like that that, you know, we, we immediately jump to all the potentials, but I'm not sure that the average consumer really has that much you know is there that much lacking from their life today that these you know these devices can really fill that gap go ahead mark i'm sorry I, I, <laughs> the thing that the thing that immediately you went right to where this immediately took me is like we're going to come up with smart homes I'm like what are you yeah. kidding me i've got the smartest home i'd ever want to imagine my father, who lived to 93, would walk in my home right now, and I don't have a lot of technology in it, but the simple fact that I have a single remote that I can power up everything, the fact that I have a sound bar below my TV that I can put over to Bluetooth, take my tablet, take my phone, whip up some Pandora, throw some music in the room within 30 seconds, and Frank Sinatra's filling the house, that's pretty damn smart, you know? Now, what do you, here's the trick, though. I had a neighbor who called me the other day, upset because they have, uh, I don't know about where you guys are, but where we are, you have only a couple of choices for who's going to provide your network in your house, right? So in our neighborhood, it's AT&T U-verse or, you know, a squirrel in a cage. Jeez. So we go, the squirrel at least shows up on a regular basis. So every once in a while, we'll have a house drop off in the neighborhood. And people, because, you know, I have a programming company, somehow think that I can go push a button and make their network come back on. The point is, when that network goes down and they have their TV through AT&T and they have their phone through AT&T and those are gone because their network's down, you think they give a crap about their refrigerator? You wait till the TV doesn't work. You wait till their phone doesn't work. Now they're, now they're pissed. And so you're going to need the early adopters who really come in on this smart home stuff. We've been hearing about smart homes since I worked at Stuart Phillips 15, 20 years ago. It, it's, they're always talking about it, and it's always great and doesn't work. And the average consumer is not going to tolerate their home not working simply because it's supposed to be smart, just because some guy outside took an axe and hit the wrong cable. Yeah. I look. I look at it as you know. I bought a new house about six months ago, and you know I'm just starting to talk about. Okay, I've got you know things in my basement that I haven't installed yet, and you know my fiance has been great. She's made it very clear that I'm free to put in whatever gadgets I want, as long as they don't impact adversely her you know her patterns. Yeah. And that's that's a big if that I mean I, I have to weigh that myself if you know if I put something in is it reliable enough that it's gonna pass the muster and you know this you know I'm configuring it and is it gonna be good when I'm out of town on a job or am I gonna get the phone call saying hey you know the light doesn't you know this fancy automated light you put in doesn't work I just want a toggle switch yeah. and when that goes from fiance to wife that amplifies it. Oh, <laughs> if you think I don't like it as a fiance, wait till she's married to you. Oh, goodness. <laughs> but seriously, I, I have the same issue at home. My wife loves technology until it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And then it's here. Fix this. Well, I guess the, the one other thing that, you know, I've actually read up a bit on this lately is the overall security issues of some of these smart home products that, you know, you know, I'm I'm typically not a doom and gloom type of person here, but you know, if you think about it, and how many Nest thermostats have been sold, a if lot. a hacker if a hacker was able to get into the Nest, you know, mothership, we'll call it, yeah. and you know, not I mean, okay, on on the surface they could cause just you know be mischievous, mischievous, turn your air conditioning on, your heat up, down, whatever, but if you look at it from the perspective of if they could take and within a region of the United States, turn every air conditioner on at the same moment. Think about what that's going to do to the power grid. Oh wow! And it's it's quite possible. I mean, you're getting into you know brownouts, blackouts, with you know because of a smart home technology that someone was able to take advantage of. Somewhere out there, there's somebody with a pencil going, "Power outage. <laughs> power outage. This is cool." But. You know, but it's just it's 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 another you know consequence that you know I know I know research is being done into improving security, but you know so far it's just been novelty gadgets really 
but you know as these devices continue to you know become more mainstream it is something that you know does need to be considered okay now 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 let me play let me play the the technology um uh, early adopter for for mr lavecchia here um <laughs> My, my great-grandfather was born in the 1912. My, my grandfather was born in 1912, right? So when he was born, um, there was, you know, one or two radio stations in the whole country. Television was not yet invented. My father was born in 1950. So at that point, there was an entire radio network, uh, the burgeoning uh, television network. I was born in 74 when... The internet was still a, a Department of Defense um, ideal and, and, and property. Um, nobody had really even you know know, knew about it unless you were working on it. At this point in time, my grandfather, who passed away a few years ago, never had internet in his life. Right, didn't have a use for it. Um, my kids have never known a life without internet. So to them, the internet is part of lights, water, HVAC, right? My grandchildren will grow up most likely, and this is me in my, my crystal ball, um, will grow up with things like you know, the, the chewy doorknob that we, that, uh, that we looked at at, at Cedia where it has facial recognition or the ability to walk into a room uh, or into a house and, and it recognize you based on your bio patterns or something crazy like that. Yes, that is a smart home, and that yes, that's smart home to us. As these technologies kind of get more and more ingrained, and, and yes, we're kind of the, the guinea pigs of it on the first iterations, but we were the guinea pigs when we had freaking 56K modems, right? And now I've got something that, that screams at, at 60 megs, right? And this is in my lifetime, in the last 20 years, this has happened. But we've all been the guinea pigs, and, and our kids and our, our grandkids and our great-grandkids are going to be the ones that, that benefit from that, from us being the guinea pigs. So, I, I mean, I, I, I see the smart home stuff, and I, I, yes, I'm excited because I'm a geek and, and I'm a technologist. But I, I think, I, I don't know that, that a home will be too smart necessarily, quote-unquote, uh, because it'll just be what it is, right? It is what it is, um, and, and it'll be on the network, and, and you're right, Mark. The network goes down. Holy crap. You know, the TV is going to go out. The, all, all forms of communication will go out. And, yes, the other stuff that just happens to be on the network is also going to go uh, is going to go down as well. So, Well, and the other part of that equation is you bring up a good point in terms of what our kids are seeing. Okay, I've got a 10-year-old. He just loves his tablet. He's technically mm-hmm. savvy and so forth. But here's the thing. He's used to a world where he wants to operate something or run something on his tablet. He goes, he goes to the Play Store, he downloads it, it opens up, and 99% of the time, it works. Yep. That level of thinking is in the commercial world right now, where somebody walks into a room and they want to add a codec into the room, and they have to go out, which go out and reprogram the system. And they're like, why do you have to do that? Can't you just download a little app and make it run on your control system? And you go, no, no it's not that simple. But as the younger generation gets older, yes, they will be the, the, the beneficiaries of the technology that we're trying out right now. But the problem is it better work because they're also growing up in a world that says I can download an app and it works pretty much seamlessly and I can go without any effort. The minute they have to troubleshoot is where that's going to be a problem. Mm. Yeah. Well, I was, I was, I'll, I'll go ahead, Stuart. I was going to say, put a bow on that one. We've been talking with a lot of dealers you know, recently about how to you know, go about selling better networks, because, you know, because they haven't had to do that in the past. And, you know, one of the things that I don't remember who it was now you know, said is we started asking our clients if they'd rather go a day without internet uh, or a day without water. <laughs> and they actually would have people stop and think, um, you know, they probably come back and say, okay, water, but, you know, I, I need that, I really need it. But, you know, it's not a spontaneous thing anymore. Um, and, you know, so reliability and, um, accountability is is going to be key, um, and but I do take a little bit of uh, of an aside to what you were saying on the in the commercial world looking for apps and the, as the younger generation moves up, younger generation is actually not as concerned with 
I'd say quality, but they would rather take a little step back for the convenience um, in terms of the, the robustness of the system and, you know, all of the, the bells and whistles if they could just get it on their iPad or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, so I think that's where some of the biggest shift in the commercial integration is going to be is, you know, some of these really robust, expensive boardrooms are going to be boiled down to, you know, a couple little objects that all tie into these tablets that everybody just carries in um, on, on a whim. Yeah. We do that right now. I can't tell you the number of rooms we do. I know AVL Systems is doing the same thing. How many rooms we built that used to have a control system in there, you'd walk in, you'd pick it. Maybe there were only a couple of inputs to the room and a display, mm -hmm. but you don't need a control system in there anymore. You put an occupancy sensor in the room, somebody walks in, powers on the display, you have a wireless access uh, for your display, uh, for like an AM100 or something like that, or a Brio. You can take your laptop or your tablet, switch, you know, swish it up, send it up to the display, volume is automatically set and you're good to go. It's mindless yeah. rooms, and we do them on a regular basis. Now, the good news is that that doesn't completely put programming out of business because simultaneously we're doing asset management as well. See who's using the room, how often they're using it, what resolution they're using so they know what kind of resources to buy later on as a company. Um, but you're absolutely right. They would have walk in, have things turn on, put up their presentation and get to work. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing is you, you need programmers for that, right? It doesn't just yeah. automatically happen, Mark. It, it, you, yeah. you, you guys have to, to program that and, and control it in, on some level. The user, though, doesn't have to do anything, which is, I think, I think which is key in, in that aspect. So, All right. Uh, a couple more stories here before I let you guys get out of here. Uh, one is uh, from EE Times, which is um, Electronic um, uh, Engineering. Um, it is a new touch interface um I, ironically i have a bunch of control guys on here so we'll, we'll, we'll continue down this road for a second uh I, I wrote some notes for this first of all this sucker um the, the new touch interface uh will do hover tracking which it's a, an improvement on that uh we'll do glove touch uh up to uh five millimeter uh glove tents in other words regardless of what your your gloves you have on um dave first of all why can't we get stuff like this? I mean, let, let's, yes, we, and, and before people scream at me, yes, you can do an iPad or, or an Android device and, and you can have that same experience, right? But I'm talking about the suckers, the, 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 the AMX, the Crestron, the, the, the Control 4, those touch panels you buy that have their name on it and, you know, they sell and, and they get from whoever. Why can't we get this type of technology in, in, in our touch panels? That's exactly the question I had asked when I read the article, too. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I mean, you know, I went out and over Christmas bought a new pair of gloves that had the stupid little pad on the yep. finger just so that I don't have to take my gloves off when I use my phone or use my nose to swipe it, you know, to answer a call. You know, I think, you know, I think, number one, it's probably been cost to this point as to why we haven't seen it, you know, in our world. Because, you know, you know there's already the pressure of, why, you know, why would I spend this amount of money to put an AMX or a Crestron touch panel into my room when I can do an iPad? Certainly there's reasons for that, but you know, we're having to educate our customers all the time about that. And so I think that's probably the biggest factor. You know, I am hopeful certainly that you know, as we move forward, you know, we just talked about the smart homes. Well, if you're putting that smart oven in and you've got a display, you know, it's, it's unrealistic to think that you're gonna be touching that, you know, that touch pad with you know, without having, you know, wet fingers or without having, you know, you know, flour and sugar all over your hands and stuff. And so you're actually, you know, trying to use touch, you know, technology that's pretty unforgiving today with just the pure capacitive touch, you know, we're, we're going to be asking more of it. And so I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm really hopeful that technology like this, you know, where we're merging, you know, a couple methods, you know, to really get improved results is is going to start to proliferate just by sheer volume. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Mr. Levecchio, from your from your standpoint, um, wh wh where, where why can't we have this? I've got to go with cost for starters. Okay. Um, I know after working at Crestron for you know for ten years myself, uh, it was always cost prohibitive in terms of what is the customer willing to pay in order to have this particular feature. And uh, to be honest with you. Our goal has always been, and for most integrators, has always been as few buttons as possible and get the project done, get, get the system as reliable as possible. One of the things that Crestron introduced at Infocom a couple of years ago was the ability 
to um, not just pick a source and pick a destination, but to pick the source and drag it over to the destination. Yeah. Yeah. That's what people are used to. And we found that customers just don't really care about that. And it was cool because that's something that people were doing. But in the end, it wasn't as seamless as it seemed. What they would rather do is, when they pick a source, have it committed to a destination so we're taking all of that out of the equation. So when I was reading the article, I was thinking to myself, yes, okay, if I'm on the treadmill and I'm watching um, Breaking Bad on a thing and I'm trying to move around with sweaty fingers and stuff, yeah, I, I can see that. Now I'm in California, so we don't worry about gloves. I don't know what these gloves are that you guys are talking about. But we don't worry about gloves. Um, but but what happens is, is that uh, as long as the thing is protected and it can do what it needs to do when you touch it, People, from our perspective, as long as you push as few buttons as possible to do what they needed to do in the time frame that it needs to be done, how they get there is, is it doesn't matter to them. The, like I said, the glove stuff, we just don't run into that type of thing out here, honestly. All right. Uh, you don't wear gloves when you play golf? You know I mean? um, you have time for golf? It was, oh. Oh. <laughs> You forget, my, my title is Director of Operations. I got time for all kinds of stuff. Now, I was in sales. If you're on a golf course, you're with a customer. If you're with a customer, you don't take a phone call. You make I got you. All right. Okay. Uh, last but not least, um, according to a couple of different people, HomeKit, which is uh, well, it's, it's, it's Apple's smart home device uh, interface, or their, their network and their, their programming language. Some of these things are not going to be hitting... Um, uh, the mainstream as as quickly as as some of the folks uh, thought they would. Um, so the, the first question is, and, and Stuart, we'll start with you. I, w- besides HomeKit, what else? I mean, what are the other players in this space? Or is that too unfair of a question? Because there's a lot of people trying to do this this interconnected smart home thing. You, you know, there there are a lot of people out there trying to do it, and there's different approaches. And you know, I think it's really interesting to to watch the ecosystem evolve. Uh, you know. So, uh, you know, up until recently, one of the ones that I thought was really interesting and taking a pretty good approach was Revolve, but they got bought and product shut down. So I don't, I don't really know, you know, if there's a, a grand plan behind the scenes uh, that's going to come out of that one. Okay. Um, you know, it's a, it ties right back to some of the other conversations that we've been having in terms of the, you know, the complexity of trying to get, you know, if you're not a single, if you can't be a whole man, holistic manufacturer. of end-to-end solution, which I think everybody finally agrees isn't going to happen, nobody's going to own you know, the, the whole scheme, then that means you have to get different players to play the same game. Um, and it has to be agreed. I mean, it's, it comes back to what happened in the networking world. You know, interoperability, you should be able to drop any piece from any manufacturer on, and they should be able to talk the same language, true standards and true standards following. Um, and right now, we're just watching a fight for who's going to be that uh, central thing and I think it's going to change two or three more times before anything actually really settles down. I think there's going to be a lot of early adopters who are, I don't want to say burned, but probably, uh, you know, in terms of spend, spending some money, finding out they bet on the wrong, uh, the wrong pony. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying the, I'm enjoying the watch, but I, I'm not putting my money on any, uh, uh, on any one winner at this point. You know, Apple definitely has a lot of, a lot of money, and a lot of heft to throw around. Uh, but at the same time, they don't they don't truly own the whole world either. And if they're not open, I think that's a failed point from the beginning, which, you know, they're not really, from what I've seen, it's not very clear how open they really intend to be. The only thing I'll say to that is, you know, I, I totally agree. Although if anyone could pull it off without being open, I think it's going to be Apple. You know, that, that's, you know, that's, you know, for, for, for everyone else, I would totally say, you know, you're right. We need that, you know, it's, it's what device can talk to the most other devices has the best chance of success. But with Apple, I mean, they have proven time and time again that, you know, they don't have to offer the most features. They just have to get it right and make it easy to use. And it'll be good enough for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, Mr. Lavaki, you, you have any two cents on on the HomeKit thing? No, I mean most of my world, my world is spent in the commercial mm-hmm. market, and the reality is, uh, in our world, we do not recommend early adoption. You know, we've got to get in, we got to get on, we got to get out, and we got to get a cut, move on to the next customer. There's no time for early adoption. In fact, we specifically will bring new products in to test them out. But uh, I was looking over that article, and I had to 
the yeah, willies that's... just reading it going, no, no, no thanks. But, but to his point, Apple could pull it off before anybody else can. If nothing else, they've got the fan base. Yeah. Well, and the, sc- the scary piece is, so, you know, if Apple does come out with Homelink and start to come in full force, we know we're going to get the phone call next to say, I want to put this into my system. And it's mm. in the back of my head. It's also thinking, though, okay, so now we've got something that we know Apple's not going to be open about sharing and, you know, making it in- inter- interoperable. And now we've got, you know, in the commercial world where I am, you know, we've got these systems that we're trying to make 100% reliable. And now we've got this, you know, you know Apple's newest that, our customer wants and you know can we find a way to make it in you know make them play together time will tell well it, and it also depends on whether they're going to follow the, the the mode of we introduce something we have a big introduction everybody stands in line they get it and as soon as you have it here comes another piece that doesn't work in the commercial world you can't introduce something install it and five days later introduce the next generation it's a bad plan I, that's speculating but Oh yeah, I mean, the only the only Apple pieces that that at least I see in, on the commercial side are obviously the iPads, and and depends on on who you talk to about the the iPads for control, and and we still see a number of, of Apple TVs simply because yeah, she's a lot yeah. from the user standpoint, they have Apple devices that they want to you know wirelessly get up on the on the display somewhere. So, uh, and they haven't messed with those too many. I mean, it's, it, those aren't you know, they haven't come up with you know version you know three and four yet. So. Um, um, all right, guys. Uh, Mr. Stewart Wrench from IEG. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, when do you when do you head to, uh, to Amsterdam for ISE? Uh, actually, head on over to the other side of the pond on Wednesday on the fourth. Oh, uh, so you're going a few days early. Been, been in London for a while for another other meetings. Oh, very cool. So, how can people find out about me, more about you or or IEG? Uh, com or give us a call uh, and uh, check Twitter. We do lots of education uh, around networking uh, as well for those who are you know, trying to take it up. Uh, we found actually our best success in the industry is just by teaching and sharing. So come, and, come check out some of those classes. And I've never asked you this, and you can tell me it's none of my business, but what does IEG stand for? Absolutely nothing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we made it up about well, six years the, ago the now. The reason we're I add, because for those of you listening and not watching, IEG is spelled I-H-I-J-I. And it means absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Dot okay. com was available. That was the time when uh, weird dot com names before they came out with like the dot ly and dot yeah. io. Um, probably if we were founded a few years later, we'd have a, a dot ly on the end of our name or something like that. Ieg Lee. Yeah, okay. that would be even harder, much worse. All right, there you go. Uh, Mark Levecchia, my buddy, my pal. Thank you, sir, from BMA uh, Software. Thank you for having me. I Thank appreciate you. it very much. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me, bmasoftwaresolutions.com. Uh, you can uh, find me and my growing list of 62 Twitter followers, at Mark Levecchia. I, I don't know 40 of them, but it's it's growing. Oh, and, uh, man. Let's get you 63. Uh, but I also urge, uh, if I could uh, slip in, I would also urge our uh, readers, I'm part of a collaborative effort with your mutual friend, Steve Greenblatt, yes. uh, with a group called techtalkav.com. It yep. is a, uh, uh, a landing place for technology managers throughout the world to gather, and uh, we do podcasts and so forth with technology managers and with people who have interests in that arena to help educate and bring them together and collaborate. So uh, techtalkav.com is a cool place to go if you're a technology manager. Yeah, it's a, it's a, good, it's a good event. It's a good... Uh, effort. I, I like it a lot. They, they had their first event uh, in, was it, it was Vegas, right? The first event was yeah, in Vegas. Yeah, it was Vegas Infocom, yeah. Uh, yeah. Really nice great. following. Yeah, I, yeah I, it's working out really well so far. And we appreciate all your effort to help us out as well. And, um, I still have a heart for, for the, the, the loan technology <laughs> manager because I used to be one. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, Dave Hatz, first of all, thank you for coming. Uh, I met I met Dave for the first time in person a couple months ago at, at the AVI Systems event in Chicago, and it was very nice to meet him. So thank you so much for coming on, sir. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And how can people find out more about you or more about AVI Systems? or? Well, certainly check out our website, uh, avisystems.com. Um, a friend of the show, Kelly Perkins, has, and her team have just rolled out a brand new website within the last couple of weeks, um, really highlighting all the wide breadth of uh, products and services that uh, AVI Systems offers. So, you know, certainly check that out. 
Um, I'm not a huge force in the social media world, but I do now follow Mark Lavecchia so, <laughs> as of about 30 seconds ago. So, uh, exactly. So, um, but you can follow me there at Dave Hats AVI, um, or certainly email it always gets through to me, dave.hats at avisystems.com. All right, very good. That is awesome. Uh, and uh, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Get get get. Now we need to get you sixty four. Um, a couple things as we as we wrap up here. First of all, Dave was one of our, our wonderful Kickstarter folks. Uh, actually, first of all, before we do that, uh, AVI Systems are having. Uh, if you if you are in the Denver, Minneapolis, or uh, Dallas area, they're having their local regional shows uh, this spring. Uh, so when you go to AVI Systems website, uh, check those out if you're in the area. Uh, they're they're kind of cool and and. And, and and I'll be there, which I'm not sure if that's a selling point or a detraction, but hey, you know, I'll be there. Um, Dave was one of our, our wonderful Kickstarter folks. Uh, a number of folks kind of gathered together and, and to send us on, on our way to ISE. So we are headed there a week from Sunday, the entire clan, well, not the entire clan, but George, Neto, and, and Bill and I uh, fly out of our respective cities on the 9th, or on the 8th, rather. We'll meet up with Stuart on the, on the 9th and, and that week. Um for those of you who were Kickstarters, there's there's a special something coming down the, the pipeline this weekend. Um, so, a couple things. First of all, uh, Infocom is doing some 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 classes. Um, they have uh, their list of classes listed. It'll be on the on the show notes. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not mention that that I have been invited to chair uh, the first unified communications panel at ISC, uh, along with uh, Kramer Electronics is is hosting it. Uh, some really smart people, and then I'll be there. Um, uh, that's happening on Wednesday of the show at uh, at four o'clock uh, Amsterdam time. So check that out if you would please. Also, uh, we are uh, doing a tweet up uh, at the HD Base T booth again on Wednesday. Wednesday's a busy day that week, uh, <laughs> so I'm doing this UC panel, and then the the tweet up is happening at the HD Base T. Um, uh, the HD Base T booth at uh, at five o'clock uh, during ISC, um, and uh, Mr. Chris Neto is, is sending me here uh, some more notes. Uh, apparently, uh, the AV tweets uh, are making the hashtag for the tweet up the second most trending hashtag for ISC. So uh, we appreciate you guys doing that. So uh, if you want you to follow me, I guess uh, it's it's at TD Albright Tim David Albright. It's not really my middle name, but it's it's closer than my real middle name. So TD Albright. Um, but more importantly for me and, and for everybody else here, uh, go by the website. If you would, please, avianation.tv, avianation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. Uh, we did a special uh, sit-down interview with uh, Kirsten Nelson, the new editor-at-large at SCN. Uh, she has uh, moved on from being the editor, which she has been for the last 14 years. She talks about some of her new projects. Um, she talks about scotch, which is one of her favorite drinks, and some other stuff. So check that out and, and a host of others. We have a new um, a new AV app show coming down. Uh, we've got a bunch of other stuff. Uh, Mr. Neto and I actually will, will be on uh, Shop Talk, which is another wonderful podcast, not on our network, but uh, but our buddies over there will, will have us on on Wednesday. So check that out if you would, please. avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. This has been AV Week.